the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. Talking about COVID-19. And a reoccurring guest we have is from the Cuyahoga County Board of Health, Kevin Brennan. Kevin, as always, as uh, the communications officer there at the Board of Health, thank you for joining us and helping us understand what's going on. Thank you. Sure, Nick, and thanks, as always, for for having me. Uh, We appreciate the opportunity to keep people updated as to what's happening from our perspective. Well, it's it's so important. You're at the tip of the spear, so to speak, because here in Cuyahoga County, and for that uh, matter, all of Northeast Ohio and Ohio and the country, the uh, pandemic is still raging on out there. And uh, how are we doing now? How are we have do we have anything that's under control or are we just trying to wait it out until we get the vaccine uh, distributed? Uh, Unfortunately, Nick, I think it's the latter. Um, We are still seeing a great deal of case activity. uh, And unfortunately, we're seeing fatalities uh, that are starting to um, increase as of this week. Um, Our positivity rate, when we talk about that, we mean the number of people who get tested and show a positive test that number is near 26% now based on the hospital system's uh, accumulation of tests last week. And in long-term care, meaning a nursing home environment, our positivity rate is around 15%. So things are still quite difficult, uh, I would say, at this point. So we can understand the positivity rate. Uh, That's the positivity rate for those people who are being tested. And uh, what what kind of demographics do we have now for people who are being tested? Is this uh, people who are being referred by their doctors or people who are just voluntarily coming in for tests? Or who is being tested? Well, these are people tested through the hospital systems. So I would imagine it's an accumulation of uh, workers through the systems. As you say, people who are being ordered for tests by their physicians, uh, some community testing outlets that uh, any of the systems might be uh, assisting with. So I think it's an accumulation of those type of things. And the number for last week was uh, nearly 38,000 tests administered over the course of last week. And that's Cuyahoga County? That's Cuyahoga County Hospital Facilities, correct. And of that 26% of the 30, uh, was it 36,000? That's a lot. Yes, yeah, uh, that are thirty-seven are positive. Yeah. Correct, correct. Well, with that, how are people doing uh, with uh, tracing and tracking? Is that still going on because of the numbers? It is still going on. What I can tell you is what our agency has uh, had to do out of necessity is we are triaging cases now, and we're looking at specific uh, age demographics. Uh, that may be at higher risk for illness, and we're looking for instances where we think we can still 
control the spread because the cases are not that old. Uh, so we are taking a little bit of a different approach because the, uh, quite frankly, the case load activity is so great that it's very difficult for us to keep up with. And we have two shifts of people uh, over the course of a day uh, making calls and tracing and investigating. So we've got a, a very fully staffed uh, group going after it. It's just very difficult to keep up with. Well, I'm assuming that the mechanism for transmission hasn't changed. It's still primarily droplets, person-to-person contact. Is that still accurate? I would think so uh, in my, my non-doctor view, but I would think so because we're seeing such a great deal of community spread, and that would seem to indicate what, what you're saying. If, if that's the case, what are we hearing? And I know we were so new into this, and it's an evolving situation. So what are our theories at this point as far as how is it spreading uh, community spread-wise? Is it basically the people who don't believe this is true and they're not masking or separating or washing? Or are these uh, people who are, are both, they're ignoring the guidelines and those people who are trying to comply with the guidelines? Is this striking or sweeping across everyone or is there something individuals can do who are listening to this to increase their chances of not getting the COVID? Well, I, I think... I think it's all of these, what, what we had called, if you recall, several months ago, we introduced them as non-pharmaceutical interventions. And those are all the things like social distancing, mask wearing, hand washing, social distancing. So those are the only, really the only things that we have at our disposal because what we believe that we're seeing is this repeated, um, I don't say, neglect to follow the rules for a different way to characterize it, uh, you know, by people just not wearing masks and not social distancing and still carrying on and, and gathering in groups. You know, the gathering piece is a big one, too. Uh, you know, a, a large number of people indoors. I mean, you really, you know, you start to place yourself at risk. I think as we remember, we talked about layers of protection. And when you start to take those away by coming indoors, by not wearing masks, by not social distancing, you're just really exponentially increasing your, your risk for contracting the illness. Are there still people out there that you hear of who contact the Board of Health that think that this is an exaggeration, that COVID is not a problem, it's no worse than the flu, and uh, they they think this is ridiculous? Are, are you running into that kind of pushback? Um, not so much now that we're several months into the pandemic. I think where we see some of that still is on our social media outlets. But we don't have phone calls coming in, uh, you know, at, at anywhere near the, the volume that we did uh, early in the pandemic. Uh, I think what we're seeing is, <clears throat> excuse me, there's varying degrees of compliance as you walk through the state of Ohio. Um, and what we know is that um, we hear a lot of the uh, county health departments saying that in their environments, based on where they are, they're seeing uh, a very lax approach kind of universally, meaning at their county level, uh, with their local politicians, with their local law enforcement. So there are certainly some areas in Ohio where that, that type of environment is, is uh, unfortunately uh, being encouraged. The, I, I would think that the actual putting our fingers on what people are thinking would best be known by the people who are doing the tracing and, and tracking. And uh, when a tracker from the Board of Health calls someone, says you may have been exposed or you're positive. Uh, what kind of stories are they getting then? Are they running into people who are ignoring these guidelines? Are they 
running into people who sincerely have been trying to protect themselves, and it hasn't been working. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I'm not a contact tracer myself, so I can't specifically. No, just from what you've heard. You, yeah. yeah, anecdotally, um, certainly. Uh, we hear a lot of people who say, I didn't think I would get it. Um, you know, it, it's people who went to, uh, as we alluded to before, a gathering. I went to a dinner at my aunt's house, and there were nine of us or ten of us or however many there were, uh, multiple people, and we weren't wearing masks. And we were only together for a couple hours over dinner, you know, something like that. Um, and then we do have the people who, you know, sometimes will say that, you know, I don't really believe in this and I'm going to do what I want. And, you know, oftentimes in those situations, we don't complete the call, right? We don't get to go through the whole interview because that person doesn't really want to interview with us. But that's very much the exception. I think what we're seeing is people who just are a little taken by the fact that they did something just a little bit out of the ordinary in terms of pandemic preparedness. And that little window of time was all it took for them to contract the illness, unfortunately. So the takeaway really is uh, the more widespread it is. Like in the past, when we first started talking about this back in March and April, uh, we had a situation where there wasn't that much of the COVID-19 out there. Now, if you're talking about almost one out of three people who are being tested are positive, that means when you walk out and you get into a group of people who are not part of your household, chances are pretty good about every third person is, is maybe, maybe positive for COVID. I may give it to that you. is true. That that is true. And just to clarify, um, it's closer to twenty five percent than than one third. So at this point, we're still closer to one out of every four than one out of every three. But your point's well taken, Nick. In that, you know, you can't really take it for granted that if you go outside of your circle, meaning quite literally your household, as far as we're concerned, we're, we're, we're very concerned about people, you know, as we may talk about a little later, gathering for the holidays. Um, you know, as you go outside of your circle in your household, you certainly run the risk. With regard to just doing basic things other than locking yourself up at home, is it still safe to go out shopping if you're safe? <clears throat> Yeah, I, I think, you know, when we when we issued our stay-at-home advisory uh, in November in conjunction with the county executive, and we saw a number of other large cities and, and counties in Ohio do that, you know, the intent was not to have people stay at home at all costs, because certainly that is unrealistic. But what we're trying to get people to do is minimize the number of times that they put themselves out there to be at risk in the community. So that would mean... If you can go out and do your grocery shopping and stop at the post office and do whatever it is you need to do over the course of one day or one long trip, that's much better than going out every day. So we're just trying to get people to economize and be a little more efficient and be more thoughtful about not having as many people out in the community uh, you know, at one time or, or putting yourself at multiple uh, chances for exposure. We're talking to Kevin Brennan. He's the communication officer for the Cuyahoga County Board of Health. And we're talking about COVID and what what is happening now as we are surging through. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. Don't go away. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. COVID-19, who has heard of anything less than COVID-19? It's something that should be 
on all of our minds and how to protect ourselves and our families from contracting this disease that still has an element of Russian roulette to it. Uh, and with us tonight talking about it is Kevin Brennan. He's the communication officer for the Cuyahoga County Board of Health. Kevin, again, as always, thank you so much for sharing with us. Sure, Nick. Thanks again for having me. Uh, we're, we're talking about the preventative measures. And I just mentioned there's still sort of an element of Russian roulette with regard to COVID-19. Uh, I think some of the rules we've heard at the beginning of this pandemic are still in play, and that is most people would probably have a mild case of it. The younger you are, the more likely it'll be a minor case. But we still have this element of uh, there's a gamble that when you get it, the virus may not treat you lightly or nicely. It may attack you and attack different parts of the body, especially the young. Uh, the lungs, after all, it is a uh, it's a SARS, I believe. So it, it's uh, something that can affect the respiratory system. Uh, the the concept of, of where we're heading, we're coming into the holiday season, and people who can spread it are still. We have a lot of asymptomatic people who have a light case of it, you may not even know they have it, and if they're family members, they look very familiar, very friendly. And we may run into them without a mask at a holiday gathering coming up. What's the advice from the CDC and from the Board of Health as to what are we supposed to do this holiday season? Well, Nick, I think from our perspective in speaking with our medical director, Dr. Heidi Gullett, who many people may know from our, our televised press conferences, uh, Dr. Gullett's advice is to stay home and stay within your own household. Uh, because the community spread is so, um, you know, so wide right now. Uh, and along the way, you know, if you're traveling, you can put yourself at risk, especially if you're flying. Um, you know, you're, you're going from your house to an airport, to a plane, to an airport, to, you know, wherever it is you're going. And you never know along the way uh, who you may have been exposed to. To take up on your point, the confounding thing about COVID-19 is that so many people can be asymptomatic. And so you really don't have any assurance. If you're going out in the community, it, as you mentioned, it is sort of a Russian roulette because of that asymptomatic piece. It's not like with flu, where when we see someone who's coughing or has, you know, cold symptoms and we, we visually can cue ourselves to stay away from those people. Uh, we don't have that luxury with, with COVID-19, particularly when people are asymptomatic. So, um, you know, we would advise people to not travel if at all possible. Well, and, and that hasn't really changed a whole lot between what we've been dealing with all along, except that uh, it, it seems from all that I'm hearing is that more people uh, are subjected to the pandemic fatigue, they've been calling it, the, the friendliness and the urges, the natural family urges to be with family. And this is all combining to contribute to an increase in the community spread that we've been talking about also. The um, switching gears just a little bit, and that is recently the FDA approved the Pfizer vaccine, and we understand that there are a constellation of other vaccines that are in the pipeline, which means that probably over the next calendar quarter or so, we're going to be seeing and hearing a lot about vaccinations and uh, having people queue up to get these shots. What what are the plans here in Cuyahoga County for distributing vaccines? 
Well, what we know so far from the governor's office is that our first task will be to assist with inoculating um, emergency personnel. So we will be, <clears throat> excuse me, we will be working with local municipalities to inoculate uh, firefighters and um, possibly police uh, and paramedics. So that will be our first duty. Um, apparently, what's going to happen with with uh, our situation is that we're going to get periodic shipments. And we, at this point, don't have um, advance notice of like a, a, a well-thought-out schedule because I think that everybody's still kind of in flux as to how many doses we're going to get and how much the allotment will be for each county. So at this point, we're kind of taking it week to week. Uh, as we move on through the pandemic, I'm sure that'll we'll get more clarity on that. But right now, we are scheduled to get our first shipment to help uh, EMS personnel in about 10 days to two weeks from now. So that, thing, that means things will start moving. And I would assume that once the pipeline is established and vaccine shipments start uh, coming in, there's going to be somewhat of a repetitive flow that's going on that's supposed to be coming in. When, when the vaccines come in, who do they come into? They come into the county or they come to the National Guard or how does that work? Uh, they'll come into they'll come into state distribution centers uh, and then they will be moved on from there. So uh, what we know, one of the big concerns, Nick, is the cold chain aspect with, with the vaccines, meaning that they have to be kept at a particular temperature. So uh, you combine that with each health department or hospital or wherever, what receiving site, whatever physical limitations they have to keep vaccine cold. So that is why we're not seeing enormous doses. Like if it was a dry pill like aspirin, you would see a much different distribution system. But the cold chain aspect of this is, is a very significant consideration. By the time it, uh, by the way, the governor has set out different categories for distribution. Like the first round will go to the 1A category and has a 1B and a 1C. Uh, will we as members of the public be well aware of what, type of distribution status we're at and where we might fit into it? I would certainly think so. And and I think to, to go back just a couple of minutes, I think the tentativeness of the governor, if you would characterize it that way, to come out and just lay out an entire schedule is because this is so new, right? This is a different way uh, to handle this. This is an international concern, right? So we're talking about, you know, an incredible mm -hmm. logistics map to pull this all off. So I think that's why he's only giving us little bits at a time, and I think that's wise because I don't. I would, if I were him, I would not want to set unrealistic expectations either. I think it's important to be very deliberate and and you know kind of inch this thing out as as it moves along. Well, I, I would think that that's prudent uh, to do that because everything is subject to change, and I don't think the public reacts very well to having something told to them that says this is how it's going to be, and then you have to change it. Too many changes is just going to sort of eat away, I think, at the uh, uh, the reliability about the whole process, and I think we have to do that. Are we getting a feeling whether or not most people are going to get vaccinations, or do we have an anti-vaxxer movement going on? Well, I think a lot of that depends on, uh, or I think it depends on a lot of different things. Um, there are certainly the, the people who are anti-vaccine for whatever reason. Uh, there are people who, you know, look at it as a, a religious issue. Uh, there are people certainly who have cultural uh, considerations about whether or not they want to be vaccinated. 
So I think what we're going to do as an agency, and I would be pretty certain the Ohio Department of Health will take the same approach, is we're going to try to do our best to inform people about what the vaccine is, what the potential side effects could be, um, where you can go to get it, who's going to be giving it to you, what kind of things you know you can expect, and then let people make their own decisions. Because I think it's a little presumptuous, more than a little presumptuous for us to tell people to take it. I think we just need to do our best to inform people. Um, but our advice, certainly as the Board of Health, would be, given the data and the information that we've seen so far, we do at this at this point, we do not have safety concerns. We become very um, very reassured by a lot of the evidence that we're seeing from the current clinical trials. It, it appears that the evidence is quite solid uh, at this point, and the side effects are are minimal. Just the occasional side effects we're hearing about. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this point: is that uh, if one is to determine whether they want to get a, um, uh, an inoculation or not and get vaccinated, there are two elements to this. Element number one is that if they get it and they know the efficacy of the vaccine is 90 to 95 percent, that means if they get it, they're probably going to be immune by those percentages, 90 to 95 percent. If that's true, for the purpose of just protecting yourself and not having to run the risk of going through a bout of uh, COVID, then it's worth getting the inoculation there. The second part is to contribute to the community herd immunity issue, that we want an overall increase of uh, coverage of the vaccine by somewhere between, I've been hearing numbers, 60 to 80 percent, something like that. Are, are those the two considerations people should be thinking of if they're going to get a vaccine or not, get a vaccination? I think so, Nick. If we're talking about bottom line considerations, those are certainly the two. Um, you know, you're having the feeling at this point that it will be a safe vaccine. And also, uh, you know, do it for yourself, but do it for those around you. It's the same approach that we take with uh, asking people to get the flu vaccine because it's so contagious and it's easily spread. Uh, and it can be fatal. Uh, flu often leads, as we know, to pneumonia. And again, when we talk about people that are older or immunocompromised with respiratory illness, that can certainly be a most dangerous thing for them to contract. So it's along those same lines. Do it for yourself. Do it for the community. Well, very, very good. Well, the next time we talk, uh, Kevin, we're going to be talking about what's your experience with the uh, vaccination process. So anyway, we're out of time for it today, but thank you so much. Kevin Brennan from the Cuyahoga County Board of Health. Thank you so much. Welcome back to Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. In the next uh, two segments, we're going to be talking about something that most of us are involved in and probably not spending enough time thinking about. That is computer security. We all spend time on computers, whether it's out of our smartphone or whether it's out of our laptop or iPad or whatever. But uh, we're going to talk about the vulnerability and risk with that. We're going to talk to uh, the owner, Trent Villarne, from Cloud9, one of our wonderful sponsors of The Advocate. Trent, thank you for joining us. Thank you. And uh, computers, Cloud9 IT. Uh, you're, you're one of our sponsors, which we appreciate dearly. But tell us a little bit about what Cloud9 does and lead into 
security issues and why security is so important. Well, sure. I mean, it's actually, um, I would say security is probably in the last, uh, you know, four or five years has really come to the forefront of IT in general as being probably the number one, you know, factor in which, uh, you know, clients are, I guess, worried about in essence. Um, you know, what Cloud9 does, well, we've, we're really what's called a managed services provider. And what that is, is, um, you know, we, we, we are basically outsource IT for, for uh, companies and we, um, we act as their internal IT department, um, kind of managing their IT in a, in a fully comprehensive way. So security is always part of that because, you know, we are, we are saying to a client, Hey, we're coming in, we're going to manage your IT just as though you've, you've hired somebody to do so. So, um, security has always been at the forefront of that, and in the last, you know, last several years, has become literally the, the thing we we talk about most. Um, so um, right. that's that's kind of what Cloud9 does. Well, very good. Well, I know our law firm uses Cloud9, and uh, I know from a user, I'm I'm not the uh, computer tech person at all. I just know that <laughs> when it works, it's really useful to have a good computer system, and when it's down. Uh, we sort of freeze up. I mean, I can't get anything done. So I call you guys and um, <laughs> we get somebody on. You, you have access to our computers. And so far, 100 out of 100 times, you guys were able to correct my problem. If I tried it, it would take hours and I'd just screw it up. I know it. But uh, <laughs> we're, we're definitely, you know who yeah. we are. You know who I am anyway. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, every minute, you know, any any minute someone can't work, that's, that's you know, money money down the tube, you know. So it's it's important. I mean, you know, businesses live or die by their computer systems. Today. It's probably the most valuable asset that a company, you know, utilizes. So. Well, 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 they do. I recall when we just started out uh, using computers many many years ago, uh, that uh, we were very leery about putting things on a computer, not putting them on a computer, but storing things on a computer. I remember we would have boxes of printouts. We would do a letter, we would print it out and throw it in the box <laughs> because <laughs> we didn't trust the computer to be able to save and recall that letter. So we had thousands and thousands of documents saved. Well, over the years, we as users have given up that uh, lifeline, that uh, crutch of having hard copy things printed. So now we're totally, totally dependent upon the integrity and the safety of the system. And and that's mm -hmm. why you mentioned just a few moments ago, we start out with the computer services, and that's taking care of the day-to-day -day glitches and burps that go on with the system. But we have entrusted everything. I mean, there are passwords, there are accounts, there are dollar references, there are, are confidential bits of information uh, mm -hmm. that we're worried about. Yet we hear in the media that we're somewhat under attack all the time. Are these attacks real or are we overblowing these things that we have to be safe or can we just use these uh, internet uh, benefits just freely and be relaxed about it? Who's after us? Oh. Uh, if any, that's that's actually the truth. I mean, the, and that, that's from the everyday consumer, uh, you know, all the way up to, you know, Fortune 500 companies. Um, every person, every company is under attack at all times, uh, and it's actually probably, I would say it's even maybe underplayed uh, in the media to some degree. Um, it is, 
Um, unfortunately, people are, you know, it, it's the users themselves or the people themselves that are always the, the way that the hacker gets in or that, the, you know, that you're under attack. I mean, that, that's what they're attacking. They're always attacking at that level, at this, uh, you know, social engineering level. And, um, you know, that's kind of where it starts. And their ultimate goal is to obviously get into your system and, um, and get money at some point. Um, but how they do, there's a couple of different, different scenarios and ways that they do that. Um, so we go into a little bit of that. I mean, just from, you know, from a, from a company standpoint, sure. um, you know, yeah. yeah. I mean, the number one way well, that mm-hmm. we, uh, get into, um, this type of, um, these problems, um, is, is through a uh, social engineering attacks. They almost always start with email and that's, uh, the number one attack vector, something like, I believe, and I'm just pulling this off the top of my head, it's 80 or 90% of all attack attacks happen first at the email level and that's where they gain access. So, and that's from an individual user to, uh, to, you know, to a company, how they're getting in is through email. Well, well let's talk about the email for a moment. Uh, what, what happens, like we get hundreds of emails. Uh, a day, and you yeah. look at these emails, and uh, mostly 90% of the emails are delete, 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 and we have no problem sure. doing that. Mm-hmm. If we get a, an email from Nigeria saying that they have $100 million <laughs> waiting for us, and that's an easy one to delete. But but if I would receive an email from you, I'd see your name, Trent Milliron. I'd recognize that mm-hmm. name, and I'd stop, and I'd look at it. And there's an attachment on it, but it's not from you. Is there any way, first off, yeah. I can judge from looking at that address coming in that it's not really Trent Milliron that's sending that at someone else? Uh, you, you can. Um, well, you know, there are certain um, specific uh, security systems that, that we, you know, I know that Cloud9 uses. We overlay these on top of on top of email systems that catch what we call, you know, spoofing. Uh, you know, emails that look like they come from me, uh, but they necessarily wouldn't be. Um, that there are some. It's for the average person just looking at it. Um, I would say it, it would be difficult. There's a couple things. If there's a link inside, if there's a link in the email directing you to some website, um, you can usually hover over that. That's that's the number one way to tell. By the way, if it's a you know a phishing email or something like that that's trying to get information from you, um, you know, is the link in in the email itself. Or just point to some random site. You know, it may look like it's from uh, you know UPS or something like that, but it may if you right. if you hover over it, you'll see it will show the real link and where it's from. But um, but from a spoofing standpoint, it's a little bit. If it's just a standard email, it says hey, it says you know uh, this is a com this is a common scenario. Um, the you know an email from the owner of the company will go to maybe their secretary, and the email will say hey, uh, I need you to buy me some gift cards and um, you know, send them to this person or address or whatever. And to the secretary, it looks like her boss just told her to do something. So she'll go out and get gift cards, and then she'll actually literally send them off to to whoever uh, whoever told her to do it or send them to the address. Um, mm-hmm. That's a very common scenario. Um, and really, uh, just from a brief look at it, without like an extra layer of a security system, we'll say, you know, like um, an email security system, without that extra layer, for the average person, um, it's going to really look like it's coming from that person. Um, you know, it, it just will. I think the only way you could you'd be able to tell um, would be just the gram, you know, how it's 
how it sounds. Does that sound like your boss? I mean, that you know, spoofed emails often sound maybe a little off because it's usually somebody foreign who's who wrote it. So um, sometimes even the language uh, doesn't. Uh, it's not good grammar at all. In, in some of these yeah. things, can you let me ask you a couple of questions with regard to mm-hmm. spoofing or the fact you're getting mm-hmm. these hostile emails in? And it looks like it's coming from someone you know. You get into trouble by responding to that email. Is that a, is that a problem? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I mean that's so that, the the dialogue that is what. That, yeah, I mean, well, the dialogue set you know sets it in your mind that maybe it's real, right? Um, you know, you get an odd let's say you get an odd request or something from someone you think you you know someone you know, and then you start you email back and you say, oh, or, you know, are you sure you need that much in gift cards? Like maybe it's a thousand bucks or something, and you know, and they'll just reply back as though it's, you know, them. And then you start a dialogue and you start actually, that's kind of part of the social engineering. It makes you start believing it really is that person. Um, when you when you, know, you do that, does that let viruses into your computer by just responding to that email? Um, not, no, not particularly. Um, it just It just opens it up to them gathering more information from you, right? So the more dialogue right, you right. have with them the more realistic they can see. They even may gather other information, other members within the company, for instance, as well, so that they can then target. Maybe they didn't know that, uh, you know, Joni does uh, accounting or payroll, but now they do because you, you just told her through dialogue. Well, we're, we're talking the person to with Trent the money. Millard. We're talking to Trent yeah. Miller, and he's uh, with Cloud9IT. We're talking about computer security and vulnerabilities. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on The Advocate. Don't go away. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of the Advocate for tonight. Tonight, we're taking a look at security in our computer systems and how bad things can get. And uh, to talk to us about it is an expert in the field. Trent Milliron, who happens to be the owner of Cloud9IT, uh, who is also not only one of our sponsors, but also they provide IT service for our law firm. Uh, so again, Trent, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Well, thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, we're all of us laymen who utilize computer stuff are, are just terrified once we, we, we click a button and download something that we shouldn't have clicked. And then our screen goes yeah. red and flashes, mm-hmm. alert, alert. You know, you have to <laughs> you have to contact us and pay us money to unlock your computer. Uh, something <laughs> I think they call that that's malware kind of stuff. Tell us about yeah, that. I mean, how, I think how prevalent of a threat is that? Is that real? Yo, yeah. I mean, that's um, especially at the business level. Uh, you know, they call that really ransomware would be a better name for it. Um, there's malware. So, there's, I mean, malware is a general term for just the whole gamut of, of um, you know, uh, of viruses and, and things that, that hang around your computer, bad stuff. But, um, you know, so there's two, I mean, you could think of, you could think of malware in two different ways. Uh, some of it would just sit there and gather information. Install malware on your machine and it's not properly protected. Um, you know, that malware typically will sit there. That, the first thing it does is sit there and, and establishes what's called a foothold. And um, and what it will do is it just gathers information, sees what you're typing, uh, sees your passwords, um, sends that off to 
you know, whoever off and, you know, you know, wherever they're, wherever they're doing it from some foreign land. Um, and then what that does is that that gives them an opportunity later to come in and, and access other accounts that you're using. Um, so that's one way that malware kind of works. And, and in the business world, that's pretty common. So you got the foot, you know, someone gets a foothold on your computer. Um, they, they see what the person's typing. They're really looking for the people with the money. I mean, it's always about the money in the end. And, um, and so they're either looking, so there's really two, two goals with this stuff. They're either looking for information in a way to get, um, to get somebody within a company to, to send that money to, to them, either purposefully or not. Uh, the other way that they do it is there's something called ransomware. And ransomware is, is where this malware doesn't just sit there and gather information. Instead, it actively uh, encrypts all of your data. So once it's on your system, it actively goes out, uh, takes takes your data and encrypts it. Basically, locks it away. Encryption basically means you know locking the data away in a, in a way that's unrecoverable. There's no way to get the data back unless you pay them a ransom. So once it's encrypted, they then send you an email or there'll be a message on your screen that says, "Hey, send this many bitcoins to this address and um, and we'll release your data." And uh, that's kind of the that's the new thing in businesses. Um, so, I mean, not new, it's been around for, for years, but that's, it's very prevalent. It, it is, it, it, there are billions and billions of dollars a year being, uh, you know, being spent on ransomware payments. Ransomware. Um, it is a full-blown industry. With, with ransomware getting on your computer, for whatever reason, somebody yep. downloads an attachment that they shouldn't have, mm -hmm. <clears throat> and their computer is seized up with uh, ransomware. Can, can they mm -hmm. call a company like yours? Are you guys capable of uh, releasing that ransomware, or does it have to actually go to the the person or the organization that put that ransomware on your computer? Can you work your way out so, of it by being computer geniuses, as you are? <laughs> uh, you can uh, sometimes. In a very small, small amount of cases, uh, if, if it's been a while. So ransomware, it gets updated and changed and modified the code things over time. And so if it's an older version of ransomware that got your system, sometimes the, we'll say the fixes or the the unencryption keys, they're sometimes out there and somebody somebody's figured it out and someone and they post those and and you can unencrypt the data using those. That, that's pretty, it's getting less and less likely that that's a possibility anymore. So basically if it does, so basically you're, let's say you can't do that, which is, which is the most likely thing, uh, that there's no, you know, there's no uh, keys to, to unencrypt your files. So you either have to pay the ransom. So you have two options then. You either have to pay the ransom, in which case we would, and we have done this before, which we help negotiate that with the, uh, with the criminals. Um, that's one way. And then, then, we, then once we get the data back, we restore their systems. Uh, that's the and long and painful <clears throat> way. <laughs> that is the long and painful way. Well, when, when you negotiate with uh, the, the criminals who are putting the ransomware on, on your client's computers, uh, what what's the range of ransom that has to be paid, and, and how is it paid? You mentioned Bitcoin. Uh, mm -hmm. do, they, do they take credit cards, or how do you do this? <laughs> no, yeah, that's a, you know that that's what we help facilitate because a lot of a lot of clients, um, I, you know, I will say these are potential clients. As you know, I will say and I'm going to knock on wood with this that Cloud Nine has actually never had a ransomware happen to any of our clients. Oh, good. Um, I'm, but I'm not going to say that it couldn't happen. That that's not. Um, you know that's that wouldn't be truthful. Um, it could, but we've just been we've always been pretty good about how we set people up. It hasn't happened yet, but um, but anyways, going on um, the 
so how you negotiate so usually companies will come to us after this has already happened right and they're kind of in a pickle right. so then they then they want to you know they actually actively engage us on how to how to resolve this for them um we do you know you can't pay with credit cards every you know bitcoin is completely anonymous so that's the way they're going to get paid and it's it, um you know i have yet to negotiate one that was under $10,000 so they're they're $10,000 or more they're up to hundreds of thousands so it just depends so the the criminals will will look at your data and they're going to think they're going to go to them so they look at the size of your company they're going to look at your data and they're going to say well how much do they think they could pay and that's where they're going to come up with their number at. They're going to see the type of data they have. Like if it's very, like if it's like a medical company or something like that, well, it's a huge HIPAA violation, right? So, um, right. Uh, that they even so so that they know that medical companies don't want to have anything public. So they will, you know, prices on those will be much higher. Um, so there's things like now they're supposed to report that. So I'm not gonna I'm not speaking to any of that stuff. <laughs> but I'm just saying this is this no, is the type no. of stuff that happens. They right. say. Very, very few ransomware. Here's what's funny: is they say that they say that a very small amount of ransomware cases actually get reported. You know, the companies want to keep it on the down low because it hurts their reputation with their clients. It hurts their, you know, it could be there could be legal ramifications for it as well if it's something like a medical institution. Right. Um, so they try to keep so, it on the so, down low. Um, so those groups anyways, that yeah. put out the ransomware, it's sort of a uh, quite quite the industry right now. It's very profitable. But uh, on the last oh, I mean, couple of minutes we have, let's talk yeah. about a couple of things that are sort of like do's and don'ts, and you can confirm or, or mm-hmm. point me in the error of my ways here. Yeah. Uh, first, first off, never, ever, ever download any attachment that you don't know about or expect. Is that right? That's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. I'll be very careful about emails coming into you from people you don't know. One, one thing I noticed, let me know if this is valid or not. If I would, if I were to receive an email from you that was somebody spoofing me, I'd see your name printed mm-hmm. out, but just to the right of that, in parentheses, I'd see an email address I don't recognize. That would mm-hmm. 99, 100% tell me it's not you. That's so I'd get rid of that. Yeah, that's 100. percent Those, that's a bad spoof. That's a, that's somebody who really didn't do a good job. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, we, again, as we're spinning through these things, we might look at an email like that for less than two seconds and then we're going to decide mm-hmm. to leave and one of the oh, other yeah. things when you're going when you're going through your emails you mentioned hovering over something i i yeah. would not recommend i'm thinking myself because if i have a mouse or a touchpad and i'm moving my cursor around i wouldn't want to hover over something and then just reflective reflexively tap something that would mm-hmm. cause the download to occur or the linking with a an unsavory website so um, yeah, try to be very, very careful. Uh, other thing about yeah, you don't passwords. want to click. Well, even inadvertently. Yeah. And then, then finally, passwords. Yeah. You know, passwords. We have uh, so many accounts, so many usernames, so mm-hmm. many passwords. Uh, we have about a minute. <laughs> is there, is well, there passwords. Some... I mean, that's the biggest thing. You know, you know, if there's one thing that's going to keep almost every breach or you know uh, hacker away, uh, well, there's two things I would suggest. And that will it will literally resolve you know ninety percent of the chances of you getting a breach, which are two things: complex passwords. You use something, um, use something that's that's long, maybe a phrase, something that's not easy to guess, uh, you know. And the second thing would be if if, if that service or product has what's called two-factor authentication, 
you should activate that and use it. Now, two-factor authentication is when you when you use um, you get a code on your phone, um, and it that's a second author. So when you type you type your username and password in, and then next it asks you for an MFA code, multi-factor authentication, and then that, that code. Trend. We're out of yeah, time. So we're going to have to have you on again. Probably after the holidays. Let's yeah. try again to educate us. On this yeah. Let's hope we're not damaged uh, during the holidays here. But anyway, Trent uh, Milliron, thank you so much for joining us with uh, Cloud9 IT and this good, good information. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next uh, next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a great week. Good night. And I sat and watched Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea With nothing to do